two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not limited to talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. They are divided For equal sequel Hate and love they fight it I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex Providing our theme song It is January 26, 2020 I said 2019 there for a second and folks, it's going to be a Zach episode, but you're probably saying, isn't every week a Zach episode because he never shuts up and he just talks over everybody? Well, you'd be partially right because I do not have any of my normal cohorts with me this afternoon. Um, I figured I've been wanting to do a solo episode for a while because there's some things I just want to talk to you, the listener. Like I've always said, uh, this, these are the intimate Knights of Vader episodes. Uh, no soundboard, no uh, insert joke here moments. It's just going to be you and I. We're going to keep it real personal. It's just between you and I. Don't tell anybody else. This is, this is our special moment. Um, but no, the reason why I'm doing this is that I have a bunch, there's a bunch of ideas I've had about Star Wars lately. And more the current state of Star Wars that I just kind of can't shake. I, I don't know how they would fit into just a a episode devoted to like a general topic. Plus, I also read Force Collector, which is I think a, a YA novel, and I want to talk about that too a little bit, maybe toward the end, because there's not enough in that book to sustain an entire episode, even a short episode. So I'm gonna this is gonna be much like my book review episodes as well, in the sense of it's gonna be stream of consciousness. It's gonna kind of I don't want to say pinball all over the place, but it will. Um, one thing I do want to say is that if this episode sounds any differently than other ones, I am recording this through my phone. This is not anything involving Skype or my normal setup. So if it sounds any worse, I apologize. If it sounds better for any reason, there you go. You have a bonus. Um, but the, the current thing I kind of want to talk about, and I know I've really... I've, I don't want to say I flirted with it because I've gone... I've said it a few times. It's just kind of the the box office of The Rise of Skywalker. And more or less kind of the... I guess the overall thesis of this conversation is going to be kind of an objective take on the current state of Star Wars and what Disney's doing with it because there's been a bunch of information. We've gotten more information in the last couple of weeks when it comes to like behind-the-scenes stuff with Star Wars than we kind of got during the, the production or I guess the summer of 2019 fall because there's just so many moving targets that it's, it's hard to kind of figure out what's going on. But I guess kind of this the the foundation I want to give for this is the Rise of Skywalker box office because as I've said in previous uh, episodes that there's a lot of the blind leading the blind when it, when it goes on with this movie and how people are just interpreting the box office um, this to give everybody a total as of Sunday January 26th the current box office for the Rise of Skywalker is 501 domestic that being U.S. and Canada, and $544 million internationally, everywhere sans the U.S. and in Canada, with an overall total of $1.046 billion. And I know, I, I don't see it as much now, but I still see it, that everybody's saying the thing, I wish I could be a billion-dollar disappointment. And, okay, this is where we have to be real, folks. And again, I'm saying this, and I want to put it on the record because I feel like this still goes over some people's heads, is that I love Star Wars. 
this podcast has never turned a profit. I do this. We do this for our love of Star Wars. And when I say turn a profit, I'm not saying that's a goal. I mean, though, is that we're paying. Again, we're not taking anybody's money. We're doing this because we want our own insight and analysis without it being clouded by money. And to everybody who's purchased a t-shirt, thank you. But that, that that's that's a couple of bucks here and there. That's not enough to sustain our monthly bills. Um, but as always, again, thank you to you, the listener, not just to you who pre-purchased t-shirts, except that the people who buy the t-shirts look a lot cooler, but I'm not going to say that again. Um, but no, the point being is that the box office of this film, yes, it made a billion dollars. It's not losing anyone any money. That, that's, that's not the point here. The point is, is that you don't Hollywood any business does not go into a business with the notion of diminished returns like anything in life once you start losing money on something which they did with Solo not with the Rise of Skywalker is that you either have to fundamentally change how you start doing things or it's you stop doing it and I the example I always use is Tron and it's funny, a couple of times I'm going to reference in this conversation is Red Letter Media, because I've listened to two things of them recently, and I know I said it recently on Cinemodies that, like, Red Letter Media is becoming this weird sort of, like, vanguard when it comes to film criticism online. It's the strangest thing to think that the same people that gave us Mr. Plinkett and with him killing prostitutes are now in the world of online film criticism and authority. I, I, I just can't wrap my head around that back in high school laughing at Mr. Plinkett and yet here we are 10 plus years later. Um, but they've, they've done a couple of things lately that that I think are insightful into how the, again, the film blogosphere thinks about movies. And I do think the film blogosphere has to be what's the word? They have to be incorporated into all this because they're the ones who set narratives. And you have to have them on board to a certain degree or at least you kind of have to point them in a very specific direction unless or otherwise they're going to be a real problem for you later on and that's clearly what's happening with Star Wars as of right now because Red Letter Media did a something, I don't know what they call it, but they did a review of Tron and Tron Legacy and I was a huge, huge Tron fan back when Tron Legacy came out in December of 2010. Like I knew everything about that world inside out and backwards um nowhere near as much now because disney essentially abandoned it and that's the point where i'm trying to get at is that in the lead up to tron legacy disney and this is before marvel became the biggest thing on the face of the earth um disney tried pouring money into all these like ventures to get boys into their properties because the joke was that in the mid to late 2000s disney didn't have a problem with little girls they had a problem getting boys into their into, into their properties. It, it's a reason why uh, Tangled was called Tangled instead of Rapu- uh, Rapunzel. They wanted that demographic. And so Disney really tried hard with all these entertainment properties meant to target boys. So you got things like Tron, Prince of Persia, The Lone Ranger, The Sorcerer's Apprentice with Nicolas Cage. And so when Tron was happening, they really tried to create this lush world of all these things going on if you've seen Tron Legacy you kind of have a brief snapshot of that because they had books explaining what happened with uh, Olivia Wilde's character and Jeff Bridges and what Tron was doing and how Tron became Rinsler there was a video game there was comics there was the TV show Tron Uprising which was phenomenal if, if you're not watching Pixel Perfect on Disney Plus go watch Tron Uprising I, I give you a pass to watch that for a few hours instead of having Pixel Perfect running all the time but it was great it was this, this world they really it, it was a fun new world to be in when it came to uh, being a Disney fan and 
what happened to Tron Uprising, because I think it premiered after Tron Legacy um, debuted in theaters, that Disney gave up on it so badly, and I watched it religiously, and actually I lost track of it at one point, because Disney stopped giving it its normal like release time or, or the pr- debut date for new episodes, and it wasn't until my cable box gave me a notification that they started dumping new episodes, and I'm not even making this up, 1 a.m. on Monday mornings for a kid's TV show. And ever since then, I started to be afraid of Disney as a corporation when it comes to the properties I, I love. Because, and I know I, everybody calls me Chicken Little sometimes with this, but that's what Disney does with properties that don't make them money. These properties are only as good as how much money they make. And the moment they start making less and less money, Disney's going to stop giving them attention. And that's bad enough as it is when it comes to Star Wars because it's not the priority. Marvel's the priority. And I'll circle back to that in a moment because it's something else that Red Letter Media said recently. And some They did an interview with Macaulay Culkin, which is one of the strangest things they keep doing. They keep bringing Macaulay Culkin into things, and it's so odd um, as to why they feel they need him as some, some weird form of like a crutch. Um, but that's a, that's neither here nor there. Um, but no, the point being is that, uh, going back to like the Rise of Skywalker, is that this movie made one point, again, for the sake of argument, I'm just going to say $1.05 billion instead of giving the specific whatever it is, um, a little over a billion dollars. And everybody keeps going, oh, it, it made a billion dollars. And everybody's brain shut off like that. And, that. and that infuriates me because that's not the whole story when it comes to box office. Because, and I, I think I've laid this out previously, but I'm going to do it again just for the sake of this discussion. When it comes to box office and the grosses, again, gross versus net, anything can gross money. I can be on a street corner and if somebody gives me a dollar, I gross the dollar. But if I'm missing my eight hours of work that day, I have a net loss because I could have been making that money at my job, not begging for money on the street corner. So one of the things you need to know about the box office is that even though The Rise of Skywalker grossed a billion dollars, Disney's not receiving a, a giant lump of money for one billion. They're not getting a giant sack that says one B-I-L-L-I-O-N. They're not getting that. Between different the movie, uh, the movie theater chains, different territories around the world, they get different cuts of that. Like in the U.S., they basically do a split of around 50-50 with the theater distributors, those being all your theater chains, your local theater showing them. So the Rise of Skywalker made, as of now, $500 million in the U.S. Grossed. And so when Disney eventually get, gets that money in its coffers at the end of the day, they're only going to get maybe around $250 million, give or take. But then you look at worldwide. And yes, different countries have different... De- the, the specific theaters of those regions of the world work out different deals. The most uh, pronounced one of that is China. I love how, again, Hollywood treats China as if it's the second coming of Christ because wow, our movie opened to like 200 million in China and it, it made 600 million, which I think is what um, Avengers Endgame did, give or take. And yet, nobody realizes or knows that in China, China keeps 75% of what you gross there. So if you were to make a hundred million in China, you're lucky if you're walking the way of twenty-five million. And I've even heard stories too that China does really sketchy things. Um, I remember back back when Terminator Genesis opened. That film opened huge in China. Every or I'm sorry, that film 
Chinese audiences really wanted to go see Terminator Genesis, and there's a bunch of reasons why that I won't get into, but I had heard that what Chinese movie theaters were instructed to do by the government was that China doesn't like it when uh, Hollywood movies get in there, or at least movies that they don't have a stake in, because remember, China is still part communist. What they were doing was when people were want people uh, Chinese moviegoers would go to the box office and say, "Hi, I want one for Terminator Genesis," and the the box office people were told, "Bill them for a ticket for the for the Chinese film, then just cross out whatever it says on the stub and write whatever theater Terminator Genesis is playing in." And China does a bunch of sketchy things like that, and so. When a film makes money in China, it's it it's they're not they're not getting as much as you think they are. And the point being is that when it comes to international territories, that percentage that Disney makes with them on how much they get is all over the place. But overall, it's usually safe to say that the film gets about the studio gets about fifty percent of that. So let's take that into consideration, just for the sake of just using rounded whole numbers. Let's say that Disney gets fifty percent of whatever the gross is for the Rise of Skywalker. As I've said before numerous times, and just going to repeat it for the sake of the argument, a billion dollars. So chances are Disney's going to walk away netting from the box office receipts $500 million. And then you think, and because Disney doesn't disclose how much the budgets are to these films anymore, like I think Rob and I said a couple weeks ago, a lot of the, the production budgets are analyst estimates, which can mean anything. You do, anybody can make, make an estimate. You, it's called, you kind of squinting through a keyhole three or four football fields away making a guess. It's anyone's thing. But let's just, for the sake of argument again, let's say The Rise of Skywalker costs $250 million. That's about what The Force Awakens did. And I would imagine J.J. probably stayed within that realm. In worst case scenario, $300 million, but I don't think it got that high. So let's say it got the 250 production budget. But also keep in mind that there's also distribution cost and marketing cost. And like any Disney film, they do advertise their stuff. So usually when it comes to a big budgeted blockbuster film, the average marketing budget is usually around 150. And that's not including distribution cost. So let's say that marketing and distribution was another $200 million. So in total, you have a cost for The Rise of Skywalker at $450 million. And then you look and you say, hmm, they're probably only taking half of the billion away, which is $500 million. So they're maybe walking away with, give or take, $50 million. And there's probably two things you're saying right now. The first is saying, $50 million. I wish I could be a $50 million disappointment. And at this point, I'm throwing a stapler at you because please don't ever say that to me. But the second part is looking at that is the notion of, well, you're pro- the Rise of Skywalker probably can make more money. No, because it's essentially opened everywhere on the planet. It's, it's not getting any higher than it is right now. Especially in the U.S. The U.S. is probably going to be another 10, 15 tops and it's going to just die out there. So if you're Disney, you have The Force Awakens that makes $2 billion and then just four years later, the third film, the final film in the Star Wars saga, make half that, I'd imagine you wouldn't be too happy right now. Yet there's a bunch of sycophants out there that are saying things like, can't you just enjoy these movies for what they are? Why do you have to analyze the box office? And then I go, huh. I bet I thought that exact same thing when Tron Legacy came out and didn't make a lot of money. 
And look how far that's gotten me as a fan of Tron. No, no new books, no new cartoons, no new movies, no new video games. There's a, there's a roller coaster they're building at, at Magic Kingdom, but that's just essentially a glow-in-the-dark roller coaster. They slapped the Tron logo on there for brand recognition, but it's a step in the right direction nonetheless. But it's the idea of... There is diminished returns in Star Wars. Now I hear a lot... I've heard this argument in a couple of places, saying, The Force Awakens overperformed. And I go, what, what does that mean? Overperformed? It's like... like what does that mean? Something overperformed. It's it did what it did. What do you mean overperformed? It, it's there. You can't argue with numbers. But considering that everything in today's day and age is narratives, I kind of figure, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna push back against or or, or rationally argue against somebody who thinks overperform is a way of understand of what's the word qualifying a, a disappointment? And I thought of it this way: Imagine you're 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 Disney. And you're, in this analogy, Disney's a parent, and you have a bunch of children. You have the Marvel child, the animation child, the Pixar child, the Star Wars child. And you have Marvel that's just home run after home run knocking things out of the park. And then you have the Star Wars child. And on the first test, the Star Wars child does a 100, i.e. The Force Awakens. Then on the second one, it does a billion dollars like Rogue One, which, I, again, everybody, I don't think, I, no one saw a, a spin-off movie, no one ever saw that as a disappointment, which, to this day, I agree. Then you have The Last Jedi, which, again, $1.3 billion was fine, it's to be expected, of course, there's, there's a little bit of a, a ebb and flow, there's, you can't always, you can't win every single time. You have Solo, which is a disaster, and then you have The Rise of Skywalker, which, essentially, it's gross is around the sea, in the sense of, like, how it should have done relative to everything else. And so you have a parent-teacher conference, and you say, why, why is it that this, this, this child of mine, Star Wars, why is it kind of going up and down? What's the problem here? And imagine if the teacher said, and, and Disney goes, how is it possible that the first grade that my kid ever did was so high, and then everything else was so kind of middling or in the middle? And imagine if the teacher told you that your child, when, uh, when you questioned that high grade initially, said, well, that's not really normal for your child. It overperformed at the start. And imagine if you paid $4 billion for that child, how you'd feel right now. I imagine you wouldn't feel too good. And so when all these people use this narrative that The Force Awakens overperformed, no, that's not true. I think, if anything, The Force Awakens shows the potential that Star Wars has. It shows the audience that's primed and ready for space adventure sagas. And the fact that there's fans out there, fans that claim to love Star Wars, think it's okay to dismiss the disappointment of The Rise of Skywalker when it comes to box office as, well, it's, it was never fair to judge Star Wars by such a high standard. And I go, what? I go, that doesn't make any sense. Of, of course you judge it by what it can do. Like, imagine if you have a parent that said, you know what, Billy, I know you got an A-plus on that first test, and you've done kind of so-so since, though, but I really didn't expect much from you to begin with. That, that's insane to say is that you love something, and you're qualifying its disappointment as, it should have never done that well in the first place. Again, the, and these are from Star Wars fans, but that's but this is the part where I want to transition to the second Red Letter Media video. They, they did some video with Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin has a podcast on YouTube. 
And he was talking to uh, to Red Letter Media, uh, uh, Mike, Rich, and Jay, about why Star Wars is such a disappointment compared to Marvel, and how Marvel are such better storytellers than the people at Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy. And I'm listening to this, and of course, it's the normal thing that you'd expect to hear when it comes to Star Wars, YouTube Star Wars people. Uh, the Last Jedi was an awful bad movie. Force Awakens was full of potential. Um, Marvel understands this. Uh, uh, Mar- uh, 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 Star Wars is dead. Marvel killed it. And how Marvel has such original storytelling. And then this kind of thing got me thinking, because like I said, Red Letter Media is a vanguard now when it comes to online film criticism, and their stuff does bleed throughout the culture. Um, at least online culture. When I say culture, I mean online culture. I'm not talking about reality um, or, 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 or real-life stuff. And it made me think that looking at the box office for all these Star Wars films, and I was, I was talking to my girlfriend recently, and she's a big Star Wars fan, and she, she's been kind of out of the loop for a while. She's, she's in the netherworld of the Force right now, so I've kind of, and she really, she's cut off from technology, so I have to really kind of explain to her what's going on when it comes to the current fan base and things like that. And I was telling her about the box office for the rise of Skywalker. And we kind of, and we kind of came to the conclusion that star Wars is performing as a series, like, like a film franchise, very similarly to how a bunch of the YA young adult novel film adaptations of the early to mid two thousands did stuff like your hunger games, your divergent where the first two films do really, really well. To this day, I don't think anybody realizes that the first two Hunger Games films, uh, Hunger Games and Catching Fire, I think that's the second film, both made more in the U.S. than every single Harry Potter film ever did, even Deathly Hallows Part 2. It's one of those fun box office facts that really nobody's aware of, that Catching Fire made more money in the U.S. than any Harry Potter film. And yes, that's unadjusted for inflation. Uh, I think Sorcerer's Apprentice might come closer to that when you adjust it for 10 years of inflation, but Hollywood never does that, so neither am I. Um, But it's the idea that that's both Divergent and Hunger Games both had their audiences dropped off, where I think uh, Catching Fire made, I think, $427 million over its entire run, and then by Mockingjay Part 2, I think it got to like 250 overall. And you look at that, and it's very similar to what is happening with Star Wars. And I go, hmm, interesting. Now that's, like, like any sort of good uh, numbers analysis, you have to compare it to other things. And Divergent being a very similar thing, where I think the first Divergent made $150 million, second one did 100 and I think the third one kind of crashed and burned. Um, I, I, I can't even remember what, how badly that did. To the point where I think it was one of those ones they tried doing the final book as two movies, and the last movie did so poorly, you never got a conclusion part two movie. And that's kind of, not not is, what's the word, um, but that's kind of what Star Wars did in this instance, where it started really high, and it dropped off horribly by the latter films. And I'm thinking that's kind of what's happening with Star Wars. And going back to the Red Letter Media thing with Macaulay Culkin, they were talking about how, oh, the Marvel films are so perfect, every Marvel, Marvel film is so different, they all have their own genre, they're all, oh, oh, they're, every movie's a different experience. And then you, th- I was thinking about that, and I think everybody knows my problems I have with Marvel on here, so I'm going to be concise with this. But you look at every Marvel film, and at the end of the day, every Marvel film is about the protagonist fighting an evil doppelganger of themselves. 
And every single movie does this. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Captain America, Captain America 2, Thor, Thor 2, Thor 3. And the pattern goes on and on from there. Ant-Man, Ant-Man 2, Black Panther, Doctor Strange. It's, it's the exact same thing. And then going back again to Red Letter Media's comments about, because I use them kind of, just the reason why I keep citing them is that, like I said, they are this kind of this big, I think outside of things like uh, Chris Stuckman, they really are one of the more organized groups when it comes to, to uh, swaying opinions on, on, on Star Wars and things like that. I, I was thinking about that when it comes to Star Wars. Red Letter Media was saying about Star Wars, again, this is in their uh, complaint and hatred of it, every Star Wars film that Disney has made has been different to some degree. And I think, I, and I share that, I agree with them. Force Awakens is nostalgic retread derivative. Rogue One is a, a gritty war film, or at least relative to what we expect from Star Wars. Last Jedi is a deconstruction of the Star Wars mythos. Solo is the marvelization of Star Wars. And The Rise of Skywalker is essentially the fourth prequel. And I was thinking about that as the reason why mass audiences have walked away from Star Wars. And why and when I think I don't think Star Wars fans have walked away from Star Wars, but I think the filthy casual has. And I think the reason why people are walking away from it is that Star Wars is trying to do something different with every movie very similarly to what's happening with the DC movies, in that you have something like Aquaman, which is a very pulpy uh, bananas movie, and I mean that in the best way possible. Aquaman's a neat movie considering how off the rails it could be. The third act of that movie is nothing sheer, uh, short of insanity, in the best way possible. And then you have, less than a year later, you have Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, Joker. And you couldn't have a, such a more pronounced night and day when it comes to comic book movies. And that, I don't, I don't want to say it's that much of a departure when, I'm sorry, I don't want to say that Star Wars is having that sort of departure, or the, the contrast is that uh, stark, but it's similar to what, it's so, it's so far removed from what Marvel's doing. And I think another analogy I can make as to why Star Wars is, I don't want to say floundering, but as to why it's not doing the Marvel thing that Disney so clearly wants it to do. It wants it to be, well, to be fair, Disney wants all of its properties to be doing the Marvel thing. And I don't blame them. Who wouldn't want that? Um, but they're, do, they're forcing Star Wars to conform to that sort of shape at the expense of Star Wars' identity. And I think that's evident in The Rise of Skywalker and to a much larger extent The Mandalorian but everybody knows my opinion on that and I don't want this to be negative so I'm going to avoid that for right now. Um, but it's the idea that I would imagine, and this is another one of my horrible analogies is that we've all had a at some point in our lives a favorite restaurant that we've lo we loved and eventually it went out of business. For whatever reason. And by favorite restaurant, I mean like not a, a chain restaurant or a, a fast food restaurant. I mean like a local uh, proprietorship. Something something small. And it eventually goes out of business for whatever reason. And yet you look around and you figure, oh, I love that restaurant. They made the best, whether it be burgers, chicken, uh, pasta, whatever dish you like. And you go, wow, I can't believe a place that made that good of food went down the drain. And then you look across the street from where that empty building is, and you see a McDonald's there that has more customers in a weekend than your favorite restaurant did in its entire lifetime. And that's kind of what's happening right now with Marvel 
and not just Star Wars, but just Hollywood as a whole right now when it comes to mass entertainment, is that Marvel is McDonald's. It's not bad. It's just fast food. It's just the exact same thing. Um, you're not going to get any sort of variance or differences when you order a Big Mac, whether it be in Florida or New York or Texas or Nebraska or Oregon. It's it's uh, uh, standardization. It's it, it's the same thing everywhere. And there's a reason why McDonald's is the most visited restaurant on the face of the earth. Is that people know what they're going to get, and they don't want any change. They don't want things different. And when they do want something different, they'll go see Todd Phillips' Joker. But the problem, though, is that Star Wars isn't like that. Star Wars has an identity. Marvel doesn't. Marvel's the exact same thing every single time. There's, there's no... Like, you can go to your favorite restaurant, and if it's made by a, a properly trained chef, there's part of the chef's identity in the dish. And you don't get that with Marvel because there is no identity. It's product. And I think when people like directors like Martin Scorsese and Coppola say like, oh, Marvel is in cinema and all the stupid Marvel acolytes get upset over that, they're not wrong. Them being Scorsese and Coppola because the Marvel films aren't art. They're product. They're churned out. There's no, there's no deeper meaning to any of this. Sometimes they might get lucky and there might be some deeper symbolism in some of these, but most of the time that's just kind of through happenstance. It's not it's not baked into it from the start. And that's not saying that Disney Star Wars has had any sort of great meaning to it. Um, I think it's fair to say that really the only film that really has anything deep to it that was baked into it from the start was The Last Jedi. But of course that can be argued either way depending on what your opinion of the film is. Um, but that's kind of the point I'm having here is that the Rise of Skywalker is something that I would imagine Disney is, discon- is really a it's got to be disconcerting for them. It really does. And I think you're seeing that now in what's happening with all the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show rumors. Uh, if you've been following any of those headlines, I know the first uh, uh, story about that came from some third-rate film blog on Twitter who said, like, oh, oh, it's all a joke. There's nothing wrong. And the entire, the oh, God, entertainment journalism has small meltdown that day. And then a couple of days later... It was like, oh, the crew was sent home that's supposed to be working on the Kenobi series. And the, sh- the, the, the showrunner, who I think his name is Hussein Amini. Um, I, if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. Again, I don't have any of my notes in front of me right now. This is very impromptu. I do know that he was the writer of 2011's Drive, starring Ryan Gosling and, and directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, one of my favorite films of all time. And he was let go. And so now they, th- they, they fired the showrunner from what the rumors are. They threw out the scripts and now they're scrambling to put all this stuff to kind of like figure out where they're going. And I would imagine most Star Wars fans are going, again, the sycophants, being like, well, there's nothing to see here. That happens all the time in show business. Sure, things change. No one's arguing that. Things, when it comes to any sort of production, things are always, it, it's, a, it's a moving puzzle. But you don't fire the showrunner and throw out the scripts unless there's a reason why you want to fundamentally alter something. Then you think, huh, considering that back at Celebration, or I'm sorry, at D23 back in, I think, late summer 2019, Kathleen Kennedy was on stage saying, we have all the scripts, we're all ready to go. Why six months later would you throw out all the scripts and fire the showrunner if you're so gung-ho to do this? Unless the 
direction of Star Wars is being once again changed because of a reactive just philosophy when something doesn't turn out the way you expected it to. The disappointing box office of The Rise of Skywalker. And there you go. It comes full circle. And that there's always again, folks. And I know I've said this before, and, and maybe I'm not respond. I'm not lecturing you, the audience, and that's never my intent. But maybe it's me just kind of trying to react or get my own two cents when it comes to the idiots on social media that don't understand how any of this works. Is that I've been following this company for ten years now, Disney. I've been following the box office for all for for ten years too. And I know how these things work. Or I, let me rephrase that. I know how these things work as much as somebody who's researched it for 10 years has. I, don't, I, I am not an insider. I do, I do not have any inside sources. I, I call it as I can from just my, my 10 years of research and understanding of this. And that's the stuff that drives me nuts about Disney and Star Wars. And it goes full circle right back to my thing with Tron. Is that it makes me wonder if Disney didn't pe- spend four billion dollars for Star Wars, would they just be abandoning it right now, like they did with Tron? The only reason why Tron doesn't get more attention is because it was an in-house property. They were, everything they they didn't have to pay for it. It was everything that was already in-house. It was homegrown for almost forty years ago, and so when it does bomb, they're like, okay, sunk costs. Moving on to the next big thing in in the release of Tron, that was a Prince of Persia and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's the idea that. Star Wars only gets that benefit of more attention because they have to make it look good because they spent so much money for it. And that's why, again, I'm so worried about the future of Star Wars. Like, there, there's, no movies in, like, there's no movies in pre-production right now. Yes, they're probably brainstorming a bunch of ideas. Every, every week or so, there's some headline about X might be a movie or Y might become a new video game. But as of now, there's no movies in formal development. They might be they might be having again blue sky sessions with different filmmakers. I know Taiko Watiti's name's been flowed around a couple of times, but that guy's booked for the next how many years? I doubt he's gonna do that. Never mind, he has a bunch of things on his plate outside of the the potential Star Wars thing. And that's kind of just my point with this. Is that like we I don't want to get you worried about Star Wars, but if somebody if you read headlines on the internet about how a billion dollars for the Rise of Skywalker is good, it's not. It's not good. It's serviceable. And as anybody who's ever worked in the business can tell you, doing a service doing a serviceable job does not mean you keep your employment much longer. You don't get ahead in life by doing okay. And that's my point, is that, like, I want, and I, okay, and that's just, again, another qualifier, is that when I say all this, it's not, I'm not saying you can't enjoy Star Wars, like, the Disney era movies, I'm not saying that when you watch The Rise of Skywalker, you gotta be counting all the dollars on the screen, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to enhance your understanding of Star Wars. I want you to be able, when, like, when you talk to your friends or your family or colleagues, and you start talking about movies, I don't want your conversation to be, my favorite part is when the right lightsaber hit the blue lightsaber. I don't want, that sort of discourse is, is inane, it's stupid. And I want you to be able to look at these things on multiple facets, on, on every level possible. Because once you understand Star Wars and you understand its flaws, you start to inherently love it more. And that's what I'm trying to do here. I wouldn't be analyzing these things unless I love them on, on such a profound, deep level. And to the people out there that say that by analyzing the box office means that you can't like the films as stories, again, you're a moron. Like, again, 
you shouldn't be you shouldn't be let out of the house if that's how you view things. To critically analyze something is to hate it. What does that mean? That's that's how discourse and conversation dies. And clearly, that's if anybody's been on the internet for more than fifteen minutes, you you know, unfortunately, that's the narrative that everybody likes to perpetuate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of just my overall my my piece about the rise of Skywalker in its box office. Um, and, and, and I wanted to get this in here because at this point it's made all of its money. It's not making that much more. Like I said, tops, it's getting another 50 million. Um, I don't even think that's going to happen. I'd be shocked if it gets to 1.1 billion. Um, it's, it's kind of shocking that even like back when I did that episode about box office stuff in the, um, summer of 2019 and I was estimating it doing like 700 to 8 million, 800 million domestic and maybe like 1.5 billion. Um, I could have never fathomed then, and even now it's kind of hard to wrap my head around that the rise of Skywalker would be limping to Rogue One's international box office total and would fall short of it domestically. Um, I, 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 as a box office, I'm sorry, as an amateur box office prognosticator, I, I never saw this coming. And keep in mind that, and I think I've even said it before when it comes to like guessing stuff that Lucasfilm and Disney does, I, I think very similar to them. I, I, I have that mindset. And if I'm disappointed by this, the people who have to be looking at these spreadsheets have to be even more frustrated with it than the guy who has no financial stake in any of this. Um, and I guess, like I said before, I think I've said it in previous episodes when it comes to um, <clears throat> The Rise of Skywalker, is that if you do love this film and you do want to see it do well, it's never too late. It's like Tron. It's like all these other properties that sometimes get a second life on home video. Uh, evangelize about it to your friends. Like That's the one thing that I want the sycophants to take away from this is that I'm not trying to temper your enthusiasm for the film. I think it's great that you love it. I love it. But if you want to do better numbers-wise, evangelize about it, but at the same time, don't shut down discourse about it. Don't do that. That makes people resent you. Um, and that's essentially my piece on, on the Rise of Skywalker's box office. Um, and I guess just right now, real quick, I think I haven't been talking too long. Well, yeah, I kind of have. But just I want to transition. Eh, yeah, I've talked long enough. You know what? Um... I know I mentioned Force Collector. I might be doing that later on. I talked longer than I expected to. Maybe I'll do an episode on that. Um, sorry if, you, if you're a big Force Collector fan out there. Sorry for not bringing it up. I guess my nutshell review of that, without getting into specifics, would be it's a cute YA novel. Um, has some fun little insights into the universe of Star Wars. It's a light read. You can bang it out in a weekend. Um, it has. I know it's listed as a rise of... Uh, a road to the Rise of Skywalker book. It has really nothing to do with the Rise of Skywalker outside of show, uh, one planet from the film showing up. It has no direct influence on the plot whatsoever. Um, but I'll get to that in later. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that book deserves its own episode. Um, so with that being said, so concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find it. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. If you're interested in a Knights of Vader t-shirt, make sure to check out knightsofvader.podbean.com or just check the show notes of this episode where there'll be a link waiting for you right there. For questions, comments, concerns, or snipe remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies. You can also hear me talk movies on the Cinemodies podcast. And make sure to also check out Zanger's show, Zang This, and One, Russ's two, show, The Unbelievers Podcast, both available wherever podcasts can be heard. And with that being said, folks, good night, but not goodbye. And as always, 
Remember Alderaan and down with the Empire.